2: Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast, Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us, hope you're doing well. We've got an awesome guest on this one, Matt Penny, a regular contributor to the Athletics Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. He played college ball at UMass between 2005 and 2008 and is currently the Director of Basketball Operations at Three Step Sports. We asked Penny, what's going on with what is currently a pretty disappointing Celtics team? We also asked about his early career in sports and assessed some very spicy draft prospects the Celtics should be looking at Wayne Spoonie is of course on the call as well and without any further ado here's Matt Penny
1: that's right Ben we have a very special guest today one guy who is not only extremely knowledgeable about basketball but also a huge Celtics fan which means he's way overqualified to be on this podcast (laughs) it's Matt Penny of the Game Theory
0: podcast Matt how are you doing today I'm great. I uh, appreciate you guys for having me. As as you said, allude to, I'm Massachusetts born and raised, a uh, lifelong Celtics fan. My dad had season tickets from the day Larry Bird was drafted until the Damn. day they tore down the garden. So I saw the last Celtics game there with the Orlando Magic. Uh, so deep roots with, with both the team and the area. So you guys asked me to come on. I'm, I'm elated. I'm happy to be here. It's great.
1: Yeah, we we're very happy to have you. Did he give up the season tickets after they tore down the old garden? He was like, No, oh, yeah. I'm not going yeah. into the
0: <laughs> fleet center or whatever. The wrong <laughs> direction, a fleet center, what is that? No, we went to a few games. He had row one balcony seats, which were the old garden. It was like perfect. So it was yeah. behind one of the baskets. It was row one. It was a great view, an actual bird's eye view. Uh, the balcony at TD Garden—it's it, not bad for hockey, not as great for basketball. It just kind of goes straight up. Uh, that before it was kind of set up where you're on top of the the court, and I think that's what kind of made the garden so special. That and lack of air conditioning. Yeah, or, or right. The, the, the Boston charm that we had for opposing Key teams. component. Offense. Yeah, it's hot in here. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of our kind of our shtick. And uh if we're on for long enough Ben will be saying
1: that about his attic because he's in Australia where it's currently summer so gets a little bit of that Boston garden charm from where he's podcasting from I, I,
0: I can't get away from Australians I have Sam <laughs> That's true. and game theory in, in Australia the recording times are always crazy uh, I have you here this is uh, a nice blending of both worlds too
2: well, we That's can't right. be escaped. We're gradually bleeding into the Celtics in NBA basketball world. It's <laughs> coming right. in hot. Yeah, that
1: dude on the, the Spurs last night who almost passed the game to us, which was very nice of him, is uh, Australian, I believe. But
2: Not um, a proud no. Australian moment, <laughs> <laughs> but I digress.
1: <laughs> but nonetheless, so if you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with Matt, he is, like I said, on the Game Theory pod. His expertise, I would say, is college basketball and scouting and really the NBA draft. And you guys tend to focus your pod on the younger guys in the NBA, um, but you aren't like one of our normal guests in a lot of ways, right? We've had a lot of Celtics beat writers on whose entire job is covering the Celtics, and they've been doing that for quite a long time. So you actually have a unique path to basketball media. and like you said, while you're on before we uh, turn the before we started recording, while you're on an athletic podcast you don't actually work full time for the athletic right so i don't no yeah so why don't we let's run through your background a little bit i mean sure probably the most important accolade you have is that you share an alma mater with me and that is the university no, of the massachusetts best. yeah absolutely the flagship <laughs> and i refuse to say at amherst all right you can Never, say at oh my gosh that, that's
0: like my pet peeve you don't say indiana bloomington you don't say notre dame south bend when people say exactly oh yeah i went to umass which one i'm like stop i didn't say I didn't say, say lol no disrespect boston Lowell, great places friends went to all of them yep amherst you you don't have to say amherst but yes beautiful place
1: um so uh if if folks don't know you actually walked onto the team so how did you end up at umass uh because i'm sure if you were good enough to walk on at umass you probably had offers from d2 d3 schools or so what was that decision like
0: it was uh it was interesting so I, i was a late bloomer i played junior varsity basketball as a junior a true junior on junior varsity me too Uh, uh, there you go we're bonding here in real time so i was about six foot three at the time just just late to kind of figure it out and by the time i was a senior i was about six four and a half maybe closer to six five and i didn't play au basketball i didn't play on the grassroots circuit i missed half my senior year with an injury or maybe eight games or whatever so i had some division two and three interests just because coaches would come see somebody else and be like, well, who's the the tall skinny kid who, um, you know, is, is, is over there shooting threes and not playing defense. Uh, but that said, my, my high school coach had a relationship with the coach at Emerson. So I thought I wanted to get into sport broadcasting, Thought that'd be a place that I could play at and yeah. also go to school at. And then late in the process, I said, I, I, I don't know if this is necessarily for me. Uh, I wanted to go to UMass. I, I wanted to major in sport management which is uh, an unbelievable program, top five in the country, and, and just kind of put the basketball dream aside. So I, I get to campus. I'm a freshman. And after about three months of eating little Debbie snacks and, and Velveeta for consecutive days, I I I, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm not this person. So I went to the basketball office, and I volunteered to be a student manager for Steve Lapis and his staff. So for a year for them, I just help with practice, whether that's cleaning up wet spots on the floor or doing laundry, filling up water bottles. And it, it was never uh, a thing for me where I thought it was a job too meaningless or too small. Cause it gave me access to coaching. I thought maybe I yeah. want to coach and I'm in this space. I'm developing great relationships. Then that year that staff gets fired and Travis Ford comes in. Who's this hot coach from Eastern Kentucky who played at Kentucky and within a week of him being there, he named me head manager. So I, I, I didn't, again, I didn't have any like delusions that I was going to walk on and I didn't want to disrespect him for giving me this chance. And I thought it was really like, I could be his right-hand guy, uh, a liaison to him kind of on campus and, and coach down the line. But you have that itch, right? So like I was, oh, yeah. I was always playing and, uh, yeah, I live in the Southwest. So I live in the Patterson. So when, When it ended, when practice ended, I'd go to the dining hall, and then I'd go play at Boyden, which is the athletic center, or the horseshoe in Southwest, until they turned the lights off, and just kind of stayed ready. I didn't like think that I was going to miraculously get called up to do anything, but fate would have it. He wanted to have his own players, so he's literally running guys off the program, (laughs) off the team. He brings in six transfers. I mean, do the math, he needed some bodies, and then by the time the summer rolled around, he's running camp, and... I'm in really good shape. Uh, I've now grown to six foot seven, which I could have used in high school to go somewhere else. So I was a <laughs> six, four manager and now I'm a six, seven kid who can shoot it a little bit, warming up before they start going and be like, he, he might be something. So I played some five on five. I worked in some drills. Uh, the school year starts. I'm still head manager and there's walk on tryouts. I didn't want to even try out because I, I didn't want it to come off as disrespectful to him for what he'd have afforded me the, the first couple months. Right seven guys showed up um not a math major but i know you probably need one more to play fours and, and that's when i just turned it on and hit some 3s Dunk, don't talk some noise and uh coach ford after <laughs> sat me down with the managers and said we don't want to lose him as a manager i'm gonna ask him to walk on but if he screws up he's back with you guys and it went nuts it was like a, a movie moment like you did it you made it and uh i was fortunate enough to play i walked on my junior year so I played my junior year, my senior year, Then my senior year is winding down. And the coaches say, you know, are clock, you actually have five years to play four. You can come back and be a fifth year and be a grad student. I'm like, this is awesome. Like I get do senior year again and come back and, and play <laughs> right. at UMass. And it was uh, one of the best years of my life. I was fortunate enough to be named captain. Uh, I met my wife the last month of school. Oh, uh, we had 24 wins, 25 wins. We lost the NIT finals at Mass Square Garden. So I can say, Hey, I played my last game at MSG. Uh, I think I played two games that year, but just an unbelievable opportunity experience. And uh, I am eternally grateful for all those who kind of helped me along the way.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome story, man. And you actually walked on to probably the best modern UMass team or one of the best, what would become one of the best modern UMass teams. Like there were several NBA guys. I think Gary Forbes played in the league for a little bit, Yeah, uh, Lazmi played in the league for a little bit. My favorite was Chris Lowe, the little lefty point See, talk, guard. Talk to him yeah. today. Yeah. Oh, really? No shit. Yeah. yeah he's he's awesome. actually an
0: assistant coach at, I feel old. I mean, he's an assistant coach at St. Bonaventure <laughs> <All right>. now. <laughs> <Yeah>. And, and <laughs> yeah. Ricky Harris is on staff at, at UMass. And like I said, Stefan was drafted by the Warriors. He played in the NBA and was overseas for 10, 12 years, had a great career over there. Uh, Ray Freeman was three time all uh, first team A10. He, he yep. had a few tryouts here and there, but he just stopped playing overseas. Uh, Gary Forbes with the Nuggets. I think he played with the Raptors a little bit too. Uh, Jeff Vigiano, which was your older than me, one of my close friends. He played Italy for 12 years. Uh, we, so we had a lot of guys. We, we never really quite put it together. And if we could defend the perimeter, it might be a, a different story. That's another podcast, another scar for another day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, we did have a, a, a lot of, high-level guys and i was again along for this ride where we played at rup arena and played kentucky we played at freedom hall in in louisville we played twice at the the carry dome and and beat syracuse in the same season so a lot of cool wins uh, along the this journey too
1: did you like walk in and you were like man these dudes are so damn good i mean because you're a damn good basketball player
0: in your own right like
1: oh, last me yeah. would have scared the hell out of me
0: going against oh, yeah. him every day you, right? you, 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 like... have, you have to fake it till you make it you can't right? you can't sure. it's like the i haven't been to prison yet but it's like the first day in prison you can't walk in like intimidated <laughs> so i, I was uh, i ended up getting up to i think when i walked down i was like 200 pounds and i got up to like 215 or, or 220 in the two three years just lifting and getting my butt kicked every day but you, you, it comes with territory right you're walking on your job is to be on scout team be on the the big bump pad for hitting the post players down and and getting them used to the rigors of the a10 <laughs> that's um, right but yeah. but everyone they, those guys end up all being very close friends who I'm, I'm still close with to this day so they didn't try to kill me either which was nice and I'd known <laughs> them too from yeah right the year the before as a manager so it wasn't this crazy transition either but the yeah I, I'm from a small town the speed and physicality and the skill level—it's like the, there's no adjustment. You just gotta gotta kind of catch up a little bit, right? For sure.
1: So uh, after UMass, right? How did you stay involved in ball? How did that lead into what you're doing now? And you know, in the words of Office Space, what is it you say you do here? What what are you doing now? <laughs> in basketball.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm also trying to figure that out. So when I was ending at UMass, Adam Ginsberg's assistant coach there. Was one of my mentors, still is to this day, and he actually kind of helped me walk on a little bit because he was at Northeastern. I went to a Northeastern team camp as a rising senior, had a good game, so we had like a little bit of a connection, sure. not really. But he asked me, he said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "Probably coach." So he picked up the phone and called John Carroll, who was at Northfield Mount Hermon Prep School, and I went there and I, I finished my master's degree at night at UMass. And the team at Northfield were top five in the country for three straight years. We had twenty Division I kids. And that's when I started to kind of like cut my teeth in the recruiting world because you had all these coaches coming in and I picked their brains for knowledge. And uh, I was able to kind of see what I want to do and not do based on being there in the gym. And do I want to do this at an elevated level? At the same time I was coaching a a, a grassroots team on the Adidas circuit. And I I started working for Reebok in the summertime on their all American camps. So I'm I'm working at all American camp and I, I start in the product room, just handing out jerseys and, three or four years later, I was ascended up to like assistant director and you're recruiting kids for those camps. And you're trying to figure out which which guys kind of fell through the cracks. Cause at the same time as Nike and Adidas events. And we were fortunate enough uh, again to, to get guys that believed in us. We had Donovan Mitchell, we had Zach Levine before those guys blew up. Uh, cool. So I was able to kind of pull from all these places of, of playing and, and seeing Every day what a NBA player looks like and and playing against guys in league and non-conference and now I'm at a prep school and I have the Reebok thing at grassroots and I'm able to see more of a progression of guys that a lot of scouts don't just because I've been in the space at, at many different levels.
2: And look, another I guess more publicly facing or at least internet facing thing that you're a part of is the very awesome game theory podcast with Sam Vicini. How did you and Sam, you know, begin working together? How did you guys come together to to be a part of, um, you know, which is what is an awesome podcast?
0: Thank you. It's uh, similar. It, it's people helping people. It was yeah. so when Reebok ended. I ended up going over with my boss to Under Armour, which I've helped run their events the last six years, and the pandemic was what i don't know when it started it's still going on but let's say 2019 and <laughs> yeah, no, um, i think that's right <laughs> i hope so uh so it's march i was actually watching umass and as, as they i don't know if you remember or, or care but they're warming up the a10 tournament they pulled them off the court it's like no yeah. everyone's positive so that moment <laughs> my job kind of paused for a year because when you run events you can't have 200 team events and fans when no one can leave their house so I was home. I was, I was furloughed. I was on unemployment. My son was one, one and a half, and one of my roommates at UMass, Dan Cutler, had a relationship with Sam from just Adidas events and Adidas Nations and, and Sam going out there and said, hey, I, I think you should connect with this guy. Uh, I, I don't know where it leads. Maybe do some consulting stuff, maybe work on some scouting stuff together. And I kind of pushed it off for a few weeks because, not that I was down the dumps, but like, what am I going to do with with this guy who's at the athletic and I'm at home watching my son all day? So we finally get on like a three-way call and he's just picking my brain. We're just talking hoop. We're talking grassroots guys and at Under Armour, we've had a lot of high-level guys come through that were top picks like DeAndre Ayton and and Markel Foltz and recently Jalen Suggs and and Anthony Edwards. So we're we're just, we're talking about these guys, what I like, what I don't like a little bit of their background story. Conversation ends and swining down. He's like, Hey, why don't we, um, do you want to record a podcast next week? I'm like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Love podcasts. So we hang up and I call Dan. I'm like, what the hell did you get me into? Like, I don't know what a podcast <laughs> is. I don't have a microphone. This guy's gonna be like, gotcha, like Jim Rome. Like, well, what is that guy doing off the court? What 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 are his vices? Like, does uh, yeah. he smoke? It's like I didn't know what I was walking into at all. Um, sure. So I was really nervous because I, I didn't. You, you hit record. You don't know what you're walking in. Like, what this thing's sure. gonna be? Yeah. You don't have editing uh, so,
1: power, right? Yeah.
0: No, and. Yeah. When, when you have access to these kids at, at a young age, you, you also have their trust too, and I didn't want to disobey any trust I built up with their programs, their families, whatever. so you walk a fine line, and uh, Sam was good. He, he threw me a, a couple of fastballs, but I, I choked up on the bat and was was ready for some of them, and we ended and said, "All right, that's great. Do you want to um, do this again in two weeks?" Like, uh, I guess, like, I have nothing else going on. So two weeks later, we did another one and spaced it out a little bit, and now we're on kind of draft cycle number three, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Yeah, Yeah,
2: amazing. Love a good podcast origin story. Uh, I want to shift now to the Celtics a little bit, if we can.
0: let's do it. And
2: at the end of, really, one of your recent Game Theory podcasts where you discuss the Celtics in depth, you ended it by saying, quote, it will get better. (laughs) So my question is... Will it actually? And how do you see it getting better, if at all? Internal development, deadline deals? Is it going to be next offseason or all of the above? Like, well, what's the pathway here? Because it keeps me up at night. If I'm being yeah, honest. we
0: should have recorded this yesterday before the Spurs game. And I I'm know, watching it. That. I'm rooting for Jalen Brown to score at the end. I'm like, please let this be positive. He misses yes. it. And I tweeted it to him. Like, this is just, this is fate. This is perfect. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. Like you said, I, I think it's internal improvement. I think it's some deadline deals. I think it's some next offseason stuff. We talk a lot about sample size on game theory. So when a guy's a a shooter, say he takes 53-point shots, if he hits 26 of 50, we don't tout him as a shooter who shoots 52%. You need to see more. You need to see 250 shots, 300 shots. I still feel like that it's a little bit with the Celtics because you have all these guys in new roles. Brad Stevens is in a a new role in the front office. Ime Adoka is in a new role as a head coach. And, And even... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are in these new leadership roles where you don't have the kind of security blanket of a Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker, who's the forward facing kind of anchor star that gets the brunt of criticism, controversy, whatever it may be. So it's going to take a little bit of time. I, I, that said, I, I don't anticipate Celtics making any like really major moves. I, I heard Brad Stevens on the radio this morning kind of say, yeah. we'll make them if it's right, if it's right for the team. We're not just going to do something crazy to do it. Uh, so I, I'd be disappointed if they did nothing. Uh, I, I know it's bad. It's it's a very tough watch. As, as you guys understand, a lot of my friends and family – You know, my dad watches every game and and texts me something wild afterwards, but I don't want to completely hit the the panic button yet either. It's early. It's not good. I mean, we're in 10th place, but it's still early in the year. Yeah,
1: I made a very so you remember that little run where our defense looked awesome uh, and no. Brown was actually out. No, like a, it was like three. <laughs> it feels like a last I time like, again. Yeah, I was yeah. like, if the, our defense is this good, we're winning fifty games, and then we oh, win like 50 four would be and great. nine. I, I, I <laughs> we have a bet.
0: Like, I have a bet with a, a, another media person, not me, just a, an actual media person who who has more wins: the Wizards or the Celtics. I thought I was in the bag when the season started, and like this might get a a little tight down the stretch here. I think yeah. so, but
1: we might be, all right, so let's let's take these up a little bit here. We've got, we are the Celtics Reddit podcast, right? So yeah. we went to Reddit, we uh, farmed some questions, we said, what would you want to ask Scout Matt Penny about the Boston Celtics? So, first question here is about internal development, and speaking of 52% from three... That, I believe, was Aaron Neesmith's sophomore year three point percentage yeah, of college. Yeah, 52 yeah. or 56,
0: it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So, user smart Celtics says Neesmith and Langford are the same age. Leaving aside contracts, who do you think is the better chance of being a rotation player? And why are they both not good at the thing they were going to be good at coming <laughs> out of college? right? Neesmith's troubleshooting, and R- Langford can't throw it in the ocean near the rim. And oh, it should have been the opposite.
0: Yeah, that's a bear trap. The last part, I'll, I'll, I'll dance around that a little bit. Fair I'm going to go with Aaron Naismith. I, I am. Uh, just, uh, yeah. I, I kind of want to frame a lot of this stuff in like the draft view lens, too, because yeah, that's absolutely. where kind of analyzed a lot of it. So I wasn't crazy high on Aaron Naismith in the pre-draft process because, like you said, he was shooting otherworldly, 50-plus percent. But that sophomore year, and averaging, I think, like 23 points per game. He only played one conference game in the SEC. It was against Auburn. He played well, but then he went down with an injury. So all those stats, all those threes were against lower-tier teams. And I'm always skeptical of that stuff because how does it translate? He had a good year the season before. I think he averaged 11 points per game. But it, it wasn't – like the the path that he was on, I, I don't think he could have necessarily kept that up either. Uh, that draft, I was more of a Sadiq Bey guy. I preferred him there, but I, I understood the move with Neesmith because – he does have belief in his game and, and how he got there and he played for an unsponsored grassroots team in the summertime and he's hailed as like this worker and I know, his dad or his coach was saying he used to chop wood out back as like a warm-up and he works out with Chris Middleton in the summer. Like I, I bought into all of that stuff. It just hasn't been all pieced together. Like I I don't want to say he's still getting his sea legs under him because we're at the point now we have to figure it out, but I don't want to write him off either. Like he could be a rotational guy making more of a contribution in those fifteen minutes a night, because the shot doesn't look bad. It it like he's way better with his feet set. And I I do feel part of this is not necessarily having a, a true point guard either that's making these really easy looks for him. Like he'll get open looks, but it's not like in the complete flow of the offense, sometimes he catches it. And it's like sort of a panic. Like, well, if I don't shoot now, like I'm not shooting the next six possessions, yeah, right. And if you are touching your, the
1: ball, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you
0: have that in your head mentally, that's a, yeah. a hard hurdle for, for anybody to get over. And, and that's not a complete dismissal of why it doesn't work. But just as like a callback on a couple of games before he was out here, he had spurts against Philadelphia and golden state where he went out and he had a dunk, he hit a corner three, he makes a stop and, and you get it. You get the appeal. He, he's more, yeah. He's better than a 24% shooter. I think that's that's kind of crazy. I'm lower uh, on Romeo. I mean, he was a bad shooter in college. He shot 27% from three. And there were scouts that said the reason that percentage is so low is he had a thumb or hand injury. It was more, oh, he played through it. He's really tough. He, he's going to be a, a far better shooter. I saw him as like this good and not really great slasher of getting to the basket, had an even assist to turnover ratio. I, I did have questions about how his game impacted winning. That Indiana team was a really tough watch, if you remember. Oh, they yeah. lost 12 of 13 in one stretch. They had, like, 40 points in a game. And and kind of pulled the Celtics back in here. It was not a great draft in, in the range for him, either. Uh, like, I really like Tyler Hero. We've beaten that start to death that Danny Antoine wanted him, and he was swiped the pick before. Like, I like Brandon Clark, but you weren't going to reach that high. I like Keldon Johnson, but he wasn't a guy you were going to pick right there. The, the pick for Romeo at least felt at the time that you're taking a flyer on a top 10 guy at high school that, that may have played through injuries and, and now he's going to make it work and he hasn't. So I, I'm not super high on those guys. I, I would say more in Smith. I hope that wasn't a, a complete doomsday analysis. Uh, I, I don't know why they're not really shooting better or finishing by the rim. I don't know if it's a, a byproduct of knowing that the two J's are getting 20 shots a night each. And you're just kind of running around out there and, and not focused mentally, uh, but still, still more to be seen. They, they got to get some minutes too.
1: Yeah, I. So one thing I always think, uh, like I kind of always preach when we're talking about the Celtics, is it's a special type of guy can touch the ball once every fifth possession and bury a three. Like oh yeah. If you're, if you're a role player, you got to feel the ball, man. You got to be able to take some dribbles every possession at least, and like Nispeth will go. Like, I was kind of half-joking, but he might go four possessions with literally out-touching the ball, (laughs) and then there's four seconds left on the shot clock, he's got a defender running at him. And he's got to fire up a three, and it hits yeah, the side of the backboard.
0: He's, he, he's getting his cardio in up there. He's he's, right, he's getting basically. his down the back. It, it was similar yeah. to that as a, as as a walk on. I, I played eleven games in three years, so it's not act like I played all the time. But you get in, there's like forty seconds left in the game. You catch it at half court, and people start yelling, "Shoot it! You touched it! Shoot!" I'm like, I'm not shooting. I'm <laughs> from forty three feet away. Yeah, so I'm a little different than than Aaron, but I, I understand the the pressure you have externally to to get some shots up too. For sure. Sure.
2: Interesting. I guess shifting to the the starting lineup now, so this is a question from Adam529 who asks, from a player development standpoint, Kyle Lowry developed late, and do you see similarities between Marcus Smart and Kyle Lowry in that sense? And can Smart develop to at least 85% of Lowry so everyone would stop yapping about the connector point guard the Celtics desperately need to trade half their roster for? Or is Marcus Smart truly what he is, uh, and can combat championship starting point guard, and therefore should be traded now. Kind of a long-winded question, getting to a lot there. No, but um, it's,
0: it's good. I'm, I'm happy to yap her about the the connecting point guard they're missing, because th- that's please. where I am too. <laughs> Great. Uh, I, I like Marcus Smart, I do. I, I don't see that comparison really, because... Well, for first, for Marcus, I think he brings you a real toughness and a real intensity to your lineup. Like, if there's a scuffle, if it's going down, it's going physical, I want that guy wearing the same jersey as me. Mm-hmm. It, it epitomized him... That Orlando game when Franz Wagner turned his back and he dove in for a steal and, and really changed the complexity, momentum of the game, I think is a better yeah. word. He's that type of guy. He's winning 50-50 balls. He's diving out of bounds. He's not Kyle Lowry, though. I mean, Kyle Lowry has the handle, the control, the tempo, the feel. He became this pick-and-roll maestro over his six-time all-star run in Toronto. I mean, they won a championship. He was Mr. Raptor. They said they're going to build a statue for him outside the arena. I I don't know if we're doing that for Marcus. And I I view Lowry more. (laughs) They could. I don't don't know if it'll be in Boston. But uh, Kyle's breakout was kind of more like opportunity and consistency. Uh, And then if you look at the numbers, Lowry danced around 40% from three for five seasons. Uh, Marcus Smart's highest was 18-19. It was 36%. Marcus about five and a half assists, Lowry seven or eight. I, I just view them as very different prospects, players, I guess a better way to put it. I, I don't want Marcus Smart as my point guard or primary creator. It's just, I don't, he he has it still in his head that end of the game. It was like the end of the game of Spurs last night where he drives into like no man's land. Like that's a, a pass, a move, a cut. And I, I'm going to steal a, a line from Jay Kyle Man on the ringer. And I, I told him today I was going to steal this. So he, he just talked about Jonathan Kaminga. And he had this line that was so crazy. He said, is he a chef or is he a patron? Are you eating the food or are you making the food that you eat? I said, that's wild, oh. but makes like a lot of sense. <laughs> like, I don't know who the it. actual chef is for Celtics. There's a lot of people that can sit at the table and eat, which is great, which is a skill. You need to eat the food. But I don't I don't know who's cooking it. Um, I, I wouldn't feel super confident necessarily if it's smart Smart.
1: Yeah, I feel like right now it has to be tatum is kind of the cook and that is been a learning process i would well, say I if he's I,
0: the cook though it's like you need a few line chefs with him right it's yeah, like he can't right, yeah. he can't do it like six for 20 and he's <laughs> he he's coming off and, and he said admittedly he was rusty he's like i'm not nervous but i was a little anxious it's like okay you were nervous We can That's all the get same nervous. Thing. It, it, it's okay that <laughs> both, both the jays they they take some stuff off to stay on the food analogies. They take their stuff up their plate. If they had somebody creating a little bit more for them, too.
1: Well, and you saw it. I mean, even in 1920, right? We saw that was the big breakout year for the Jays. And they had Kemba kind of helping them along, running pick yep. and rolls for them. And probably more importantly was Gordon Hayward, who now I think has become criminally, criminally underrated for that team's success, man. The way right. he kind of connected those two guys and enabled them was just I mean it was just really a skill that does not show up in the box score that we have missed ever since he left.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why people go so crazy about it because Gordon Hayward, I mean he he also evolved in real time after the injury because he wasn't the same type of player and he he made himself an integral part of, of yeah. that run when he came back and he didn't have to come back. If you remember, like he was hurt and he was kind of maybe 80%, but he did it. He willed it back and, and he helped them a little bit in that run, even though it didn't always show up in the box score too. For sure. So
1: mo- moving on to deadline deals here. Mm. So if we, uh, if we do target somebody, at the deadline, right? There's all these normal names we see thrown out. Harrison Barnes, blah, 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 right? Those have been beat to death a million different ways. But we're going to ask you to, you know, use your scouting expertise here. And we'll look for some kind of underutilized guys. So user can't handle the truth. 34 says what underutilized players from the past few drafts who need a second chance change of scenery could the Celtics target? And really, we got another very similar question from user Burner for Celtics: Seiko Dumbia, Jarrett Culver, Jalen Smith, Luca Semanic? Semanic, Semanich?. Yes, man. these yep. <laughs> nailed it. Close. All right, these yeah. are <laughs> <laughs> these are the rookie extensions that weren't picked up. Are any of these guys worth uh, going to be worth another shot?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I was really high on Jared Culver out of Texas tech. Uh, I was wrong there. I, I, I don't necessarily love the fit that he has with the Celtics. I, I prefer more of a shooter floor spacer. He, he has, he struggles shooting and can't really self create. And that's why he hasn't seen significant playing time. Jalen Smith's been a really nice story. He's playing well yeah. in Phoenix, but he's kind of similar in that Robert Williams type mold. And I'm, I'm good with time Lord. I, I like him a lot. I, I don't think that he's necessarily the, the issue, the the problem I have with this, and it's it's a great question, is that there's no real like hiding in plain sight guys right now because of COVID. All these rookies and and all these guys sure. are buried. have got an opportunity and, and everybody's playing. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw today, like the Spurs have half their team in, in COVID protocol. So they signed Anthony Lamb, like all those kind of fringy guys that were second round or unsigned. Like Gerald Green. Came off the Rockets bench today as an assistant coach, and he's going back to the G League as a player because, like, there's opportunity. there. Lance Stevenson had 30. Joe Johnson had a 10 day. Like, I, I, my phone's on silent. I don't think it's going to ring right now. Somebody asked me today, "How many people have to get sick for you to call out?" I said, "There had to be like a bubonic plague, and there's literally no one left, and I could get a call." But, um, so I, uh, yeah, the plain sight ones hard. I, I know the the same names have kind of floated around. and and this is not necessarily drafty type stuff, but I like Terrence Ross. I think that he could really help and and give a little bit different feel. Uh, Somebody said maybe Justin Holliday, who's like the ultimate journeyman, but could he be a spark off the bench, give you a different look? I I know Derek White's name is in a ton of trade talk for San Antonio, who, who wasn't great last night, but that's a guy that I try to piece together something for because when you go back and dig in, the, the table setting for others while well, well, keeping the defenses honest with his shot I mean, he had multiple assist games a, a few weeks ago and then, then he has mixed with the scoring like that's the type of piece that I think the, the Celtics are missing I don't necessarily think that he's the guy that puts him over the edge but it, it's very buzzy right now but there's there's definitely a lack of connectors on the Celtics you, you see their offense and there's not great ball movement it's kind of one and done one J gets one one time the next J gets one the next one Jalen Brown today, so they have to screen a little bit better. I just think they have to move past cut and and have some some flow to it, too.
2: There's a lot of talk about next off-season or the upcoming off-season and I think yeah. it's a it's a bit of a North star for a lot of Celtics fans who have already sort of resigned to what this season is or it could be and is already looking forward to the next season. Um, we've got another question here from user Waldy who asks, does he think, does Penny think, the team should commit more to the young core, focusing on the development of the young guys, i.e. Rob, Romeo, Neesmith, Pritchard and Grant and possibly trading guys like Schroeder and Richardson or should we prioritize adding veterans alongside side the jays
0: uh my answer is veterans i I don't think it's really close i think the core is okay but you even see how short the bench is right now in terms of guys getting on the floor and making an impact so uh, it's it's this very weird thing and very weird talking point where with jalen brown and and jason tatum on on paper you have these two great self-creating wing scorers who are 25 years old or younger the nba is a league that's built around finding players with this archetype and the Celtics are lucky that they have two young ones, which is pretty insane because yeah. a, as much as I, I watch, evaluate, you try to get the draft right, the best people in the world get it wrong and, and the Celtics nailed it twice. And you could even say they nailed it at the time with Marcus Smart, has, has it all worked? No, it hasn't. But when you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you build up the bench a little bit better. You, you reshuffle the deck. You add some scoring, you add some ball movement. And it's hard for us Celtics fans here, and it's hard for people in Boston or maybe Australia, where you're you're used to success. You're used to the Patriots in Super Bowls, the Bruins and Stanley Cup, the Red Sox winning. This isn't good enough necessarily, but the frustrating thing for me is that you you missed and I, I talked to my my buddy Zach about this today. You missed on three max contract guys for whatever reason. Chemistry, injury, bad fit in, in Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and Kemba Walker when it seems so close. And, and it might've been, we might've been a fluke injury away of Gordon Hayward from really being a, an Eastern conference favorite powerhouse. I mean, we, we talked about that. I remember when Gordon Hayward signed and he released that letter, like unfinished business, my college coach going to the championship. Like I, I still get goosebumps talking about that. Cause like, that's <laughs> the guy, like, that's the piece. Like yeah, he I gets know. it. We got to pay him all the money, but like, that's the piece. But then when you get down to brass tacks and you look, how did we pick up the pieces? When you trade Kemba, which I agree with, I think it was time for, for both parties. And then a number one pick for Al Horford, who you had before, but you didn't want to pay because Philadelphia was given that extra year, which is a little nuts. But we're talking about the pieces that the Celtics need. That number one they traded was the 16th pick in the draft. We need mm-hmm. shooting. That was a very deep draft. The next pick... A guy who hasn't played a ton, but I believe is going to develop, is Trey Murphy on Memphis, who went to UVA. Uh, Quentin Grimes was picked about 15 picks later by the Knicks. He's shooting 39% from three. Even a scorer, a, a guy like I I was very high on, Bowen's Highland. Now, it, it, I don't want to be a complete hindsight's 2020 guy, like those are the ones you should have picked. But if you need scoring and size, Trey Murphy is the guy. But instead, it, it turns into Alfred Schengen, who's traded. We don't touch it. The, the Celtics have to hit on role players in the draft. They have to. They they have to get more wins. It can't be a write-off. So uh, similar to the opening statement, I'm not hitting the panic button. I don't want to blow it up completely, but I don't want to sit still either.
2: Fair enough. That kind of segues into this next question. Uh, whether or not it's worth asking, I'm not sure. There, there's some a lot of chatter really among fans. Um, yeah that uh there's maybe some incentive for the celtics to tank this year um hmm. where you, in the terms of uh you know acquisition through the draft tanking obviously would put us in a good position to do just that um do you agree that that's a, a legitimate way forward
0: uh very nuanced so I, I think my answer to that for this draft class is no if you asked me this a year ago there is legitimate depth and star power at the top with with Kate cunningham Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs. And we've even seen guys exceed those early expectations in Scotty Barnes and Franz Wagner. Jonathan Kaminga went seventh, and I think he could develop for the Warriors. Even Josh Giddy seems like a Celtics type of player. Shout out Australia, where <laughs> there you go. I, I didn't even know you're from Australia. And I, had the, I already had that built into my notes. But like those type of guys, you get it. You, you, you tank for those type of players. Right. This class right now is not that deep of the elites at the top. They're mostly people right now on mock draft boards have some top three order of Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, Jabari Smith from Auburn, and Paul Bankara from Duke. There are some fans of Jaden Ivey from Purdue, Ben Matherin from Arizona. But if you tank and you miss in the lottery, it could be a disaster. Because like I alluded to, Franz Wagner went eighth. I love Franz Wagner. I, I think he's going to be a star in the league. That would be a hit. But I, I'm using... Uh, friend Sam Vecini's mock draft here on The Athletic. The 8-10 to 10 range-ish, if we tank and you miss, right now he has Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, of UW-Milwaukee, Kendall Brown of Baylor, and A.J. Griffin of Duke. I think those guys are really nice pieces, but I don't think it's worth the like mental and psychological warfare you're going to put on the remaining Celtics roster to get there. So say you blow it up and... You trade Jalen Brown, so Jason Tatum is going to have to go through this like Paul Pierce ish purgatory, just waiting around for a a mega trade to like get this thing back on track. It's not worth it for the players that are there on the other side if you miss. And and the draft has also changed a little bit in that you don't get as many ping pong balls if you finish uh, the worst record versus the fourth worst record. So it's it's literally a a dice roll to do it, and I I wouldn't. I don't think that's the way that you're going to get this team back on track. So it sounds like this year's draft is
1: kind of like I think it was Jalen Brown's year with like Dragon Bender up there, mm-hmm. Josh Jack, or was that Tatum's year? Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender. I, 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 I look. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but whatever. The, <laughs> I think it was Tatum. Uh, I think it was Tatum because we wanted people were saying we were going to take Josh Jackson, and then yeah. we were, and he didn't want to come was, here. Yeah, Angel's flying out there, and they're like, okay. Well, they're taking Tatum, and thank God we did. <laughs>
0: Oh, and I was, and I was, and I was, let's see, and, and part of this stuff is admitting you're wrong, right? I was wrong. I, I thought Markel Fultz was the guy uh, he traded down. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm everybody punching walls. Did. I'm like, great, Tatum, awesome. Uh, a Duke yeah. guy who's not going to pan out. And yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to eat Crow. I was totally wrong on that one.
2: Um, I was devastated but, by the the trade for the, the Fultz pick for Tatum. I think a lot of us were. So we've yeah. all eaten Crow there.
1: <laughs> that was legitimately shocking, man. Like, I, was I cannot. Shocked. I was shocked. Yeah. Has that happened ever where someone traded down from – I mean, the NFL it happens all the time, but in the NBA – What was I, the
0: um, – Chris, Chris Weber, Chris Webber, yeah. yeah. That's the, I can remember that, yeah.
1: I mean, what was that, 30 years ago? 90, I mean, what, two? Yeah. Two, yeah. three, somewhere, somewhere around there. 30 yeah. years ago, yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. But um, All right, so kind of speaking, um, you you mentioned Trey Murphy, which I I love Trey Murphy. I love, love yeah. Sengu, and I think he'd be kind of a fun little piece on this team too. Building through the draft, we've got another Reddit question here. User Toto Dad says, Your podcast mate Sam Vassini mentioned in one of his recent pods how he believes that shooting is a skill that's not very hard to find. But I feel like Boston in recent years hasn't had a good track record with doing this. And he mentions a lot of guys like RJ uh, Hunter that we drafted and, and kind of a collection of those type of guys that we've drafted and that just couldn't shoot. You know, they were billed as shooters. And couldn't shoot. Um, so this is a long way of asking whether you think there's a system, systematic problem within the organization to identify and develop role players, and you're seeing it kind of with Neesmith Smith and Romeo, uh, and less so, well, the opposite really with Grant Williams uh, to develop role players that can space the floor. And if so, how much of that should be attributed to scouting as opposed to player development? And more broadly how difficult is it to project shooting in the NBA? Because it seems like that should be the one skill. Like, if this dude can shoot, he can shoot, right? But it's not really the case. No.
0: It's hard because the speed of the game is so different, too. I mean, I was looking today, just doing my little draft comps, and I I looked up Obi Toppin stats for when he was at Dayton because he's like a – 21% shooter now for the Knicks and it's hard for him to get time on the floor. He was a 38 or 39% shooter from three, the college three at at Dayton. And I thought he'd kind of be this like pick and roll spacing, not not his forte. It's always going to be getting up and down and dunking and putting pressure on the defense there. Uh, it, it, it's difficult because it's definitely a a mix of, of scouting versus, what you have for player development staff and the, the Celsius have changed over a lot of those guys and the coaching staff is completely different so i don't want to necessarily write off those guys yet either I, I don't know necessarily why it it doesn't always translate a to b you would think it's easier to to find guys but i i, I kind of disagree with sam in a sense that it's easy to find guys on paper that that may work but i don 't like Naismith's struggles i don 't think are due to lack of development like that that guy 's a, a worker in the gym and I, I still believe that he will improve uh, i don 't know if it 's identifying different free agents uh, i don 't know if it's it 's guys that want to come in and like he says all the time that you can get shooting, but it 's hard to necessarily like improve it all the time and and you don 't know to to what rate and, and what that looks like and it 's a lot easier to shoot in an empty gym at the hour mm-hmm. center when nobody's there versus you're on the road at Madison square garden for the Knicks. Right. So, I uh, I don't have a great answer for that. I, I unfortunately I don't go to practices, so I, I can't really tell you the behind the scenes stuff. Um, but it, right. it's not, it's not whiffs, but what really turns mm-hmm. the knife is again, the shooter you needed, we drafted, his name is Desmond Bain. He's on, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. He is a superstar. Uh, he is a legitimate number two on a, a team that's going to be a wagon for years to come. So that's the kind of thing that uh, that that keeps me up at night. My friends have told that me is- I, I have to stop talking about him because that's the guy.
1: That's like the girl you we're supposed to meet up with on tinder and your car got like a flat and it's something, <laughs> you know what i mean you missed the it's day the, it's, oh, not a movie, a it's not a
0: movie it's not it's <laughs> not yeah. like hitch and you know somebody else you went to the wrong apartment like this is real life like no you have a flat yeah. like you're not going there
1: you, she just texts you like you're an asshole and never responds <laughs> yeah. to you again, right? You
0: have right? no service, so the text doesn't go through back. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs>
2: um, let's do a complete 180 then, because uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here. Um, Fanny, we do... Uh, occasionally, we do these like fan therapy episodes where we Ooh. just like all get together, largely unscripted, and just like talk it out to try and make ourselves and the fan base feel better about the current state of the Celtics. Great. So along those lines... Let's talk some positives here So I want to hear from you Maybe some long-term things That the Celtics and their fans Should be excited about going forward. We talked about the Jays Obviously something to be Very much excited about Uh, What else might you throw On the pile
0: there? Man, they won last oh, that's night. That's not against No, I'd say you're <laughs> heading in the right direction. Uh, despite losing last night, I, I thought the comeback against Orlando was like there was a little bit more fight at the, at the end of games. So there's been a lot of games this season where I don't want to say they quit, but there's just a, a lack of focus, a, a lack of effort. I, I think those guys are going to turn the corner. They are. Jason Tatum, I mean, like Jalen Brown was doing the one man band thing here for a while. And he he took 36 shots because someone had to shoot the ball. And I I think some of his looks will be easier. And, And last night against the Spurs, he had some shots where, it's almost like he forgot Tatum was there and he was still doing the moves from like the games when he was out. Like he had a, a force, like one foot jumper and he ran into three guys. So he'll, he'll get better. I, I think his, his looks will improve. And I, I think it's also something i get excited about that. I don't think Brad Stevens is, is happy with this. I, I don't think Ime Adoka is now. happy with this. Uh, they're not going to roll over. They're going to either light a fire under guys or, or move guys. And that's the way. As Celtics, I'd argue we have to do it because it's hard as like people talk about blowing it up, right? Let's tank. Let's blow it up. Let's get a free agent. It's hard to get free agents like marquee ones in Boston. And when we do like we overpay and you overpaid for Horford and it worked, but that's not a guy that necessarily now is going to be a person that changes the the course of the season. So... uh, It'll get better as you you make some tiny trades here, some veteran plays. You you hope that the efficiency approves of Tatum and and Brown. And stay positive. Robert Williams is a steal. That contract looks fantastic. Uh, Marcus Smart is still very good on a very good contract. If you keep him, if you move him, there's some assets behind that. Grant Williams shooting is great. Uh, What else do we have to say that's positive? What, what, What else could we go here? they playing Neesmith's the Knicks tonight. I hope, I, hope they, I hope they win.
2: Yeah. yeah. Smith and Grant will both be starting next year. Both will be shooting above 45% for three. Say that. Everything's yeah. going to be fine. I
0: can't say that. Like I will.
1: <laughs> I have no accountability. I can say whatever I want. <laughs>
2: yeah. We've exhausted we so all options on this podcast. We've run through every uh, potential promising scenario. None of them have come true, which is why we're asking essentially everyone who comes on. We're out of options.
0: Yeah. LeBron's going to finish his career here. It's going to be great.
1: I wouldn't even want that. I'm such an oh, irrational hater.
0: I wouldn't That's even want you, that. You, you, yeah, you can, you can hate, but I, I think it would help. Until,
1: <laughs> until he puts a Celtics jersey on and then I'm in 100%. But until right. that day. All right. So let's hop into uh, some draft talk, your specialty. We've got yeah. a comment here and several comments in the thread I posted on the subreddit from user... I hate clutch sports. I saw that. Uh, which is <laughs> was yeah. like a good start. He's, yeah. he's one of our he's one of our common contributors, one of my favorite usernames in the sub. Uh so who are some players like in the shooter kind of wings or playmaker mold that the Celtics should be targeting in the draft? Assuming, you know, we're around that five hundred y range like we were last season and are mm-hmm. right now. So we're pick picking like twelve to eighteen. Like who are some guys we should be keeping our eyes on? Like Ooh, that team's
0: on. I'll watch him because Matt Penny said we no, might draft that. this guy. <laughs> this guy stinks. Trap. <laughs> Why do you, well, God, I don't even work at the athletic guys. This is a hobby for me. It, it depends <laughs> on, on what you want. It, it depends philosophically on, on how you're trying to build. The way I view it as I, sometimes people in, in NBA teams, they're, they're hesitant to draft older players. So Chris Duarte – out of Oregon goes to the Pacers. He, he ended up going 13th, which I think is the right place, but he statistically probably should have won six or seven, but he's 23 years old. Uh, that that's, it's buyer beware because on second contract, you're 28. And then you're like, Oh, I, I think we lost his prime. Right. Celtics should go that way. So the, the first guy that, that I like as a senior from Kansas is Ochai Agbaji. he' He's six foot five, Chiseled frame, two-way guy. He came back to school after flirting with the draft. He's averaging 20 points per game. He's shooting 52% from the field, 45% from three Celtics Ooh. fans. Can create his own looks. He finishes well in transition. He gets in the lane, converts above the rim. Has been much more consistent across the board with with what he does. And and as that, he's okay. He's now elevated to being a star with Kansas, but he was okay just being like a role player. Uh, which, which is important for if we're keeping the Jays, like you need guys and pieces around there. Uh, another guy I, I like, if we're talking Irish, if we're talking the Celtics. I'd mentioned Blake Wesley of Notre Dame fighting Irish, sort of this surprise ahead of schedule guy at, at six foot five. He's averaging 13 points per game, handling a lot of primary ball handling responsibilities, gets to his spots well off the bounce. Um, You can see the confidence growing. I mean, he's got a funky sling across-the-body type shot. If he goes back to school, he's going to be a a real breakout guy for next year's draft. So you can snake him around 18 or 20, and he's popping up on all these mock draft boards today. He had 24 points against Illinois. He started every game in the ACC. He's going to be a stud. I I firmly believe that. And the last one, I have Wendell Moore from Duke. He's had a, a huge bounce back year. After a a lackluster sophomore season, shooting 41% from three on nearly four attempts per game. And also six rebounds and five assists while initiating some offense. And he could be Duke's MVP while still understanding his role. He's playing with Paul Bancaro, who's projected top three pick. He's playing with A.J. Griffin, who's probably another projected top 20-ish guy. So when I'm looking at the Celtics, you also want guys that are going to understand what they're being drafted and what they're coming into. You're not just drafting in a vacuum necessarily for the best prospect. I mean, you definitely need depth, but part of that is still the understanding of knowing what to do when, when you get here in, uh, in Beantown.
1: So uh, Johnny Davis is flying up draft boards, is he not? Oh, yeah. Yes, he He's is. not going to be there, right? Because uh, I, funny. I love because that we, we, dude.
0: We were going to talk. <laughs> Sleepers, and we might still talk sleepers here. A month ago, Johnny Davis was my sleeper. I I tweeted something on like December 2nd or something around there, like, Love Johnny Davis. He grew up playing on our circuit with Under Armour. So that's a kid that I've seen develop and and play since he's been 15 years old. He's way better than I thought he was. I I thought maybe in three years we'd be talking about a, a back end first round guy. Uh, but he is—he's ridiculous. He had 37 points at Macky Arena against Purdue. Shades of don't hold me to this. I'm not saying Dwayne Wade, but that type of game, just a killer off the dribble, pull ups, defense. He, he's a pest in the backcourt. He's athletic. He's a good teammate. Uh, I, I talked to somebody around that program when he had 37 points the next day, or, and they said. He's really pissed off after the game. I said, that's so stupid, man. You guys just won oh. like, on the road. Like, why mad? Well, he missed three free throws, and he turned it over once. He wanted 40. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll take that guy. So I, <laughs> Give me that, I, I dude. Love, I love, yeah, I love Johnny Davis. Uh, he's he's probably in that five to eight-ish range, and I, I hope the Celtics aren't there. That would be bad for everybody. I know. It really would be.
1: But, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll
1: see. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, uh, you went out on a limb – you mentioned him earlier last uh, last draft for Bones Highland. Like yeah. I think you were way higher on him than most everybody of the normal kind of draft guys I, I keep tabs on. And it looks like you are probably right. Honestly, Bones looks awesome, and he's, he's just good. he's dude. He is fun as hell to watch too. Yeah. Uh, playing with Jokic. Um, so who's got the Bones Highland Award this draft? Who's your favorite sleeper in that first second round? You know end of the first, top of the second type guy.
0: I'm going to hedge and give you about three, because I think one is, no, is perfect. Because, <laughs> because last year, I, I like Troy Murphy. I, I like Bones. I like Josh Primo, who's getting more of an opportunity now. Yeah. My guy who I don't know if he declares, but I would take him late first, early second, is Julian Strother from Gonzaga. He's never the guy out there playing with Chet Holmgren and, and Drew Timmy, but he makes open shots. He moves well away from the ball. He finds places to cut and score around the rim. Shooting close to fifty percent from the field, thirty-nine from three. If he goes back to Spokane, he'll he'll I in my view, he'll be a locked top twenty guy. Uh I love taking him kind of in that range because again, he's a type of guy that's playing with like two kind of national I don't right. say player of the year, but names and entities and commodities that he doesn't care. Like that's when he backcuts and hit him with a bounce pass. That's when he sneaks in behind the defense and hits a little jumper. You need those type of, of pieces. What the Celtics, what they're trying to do. If you want a creator, uh, a guy I also like is Jordan Hall from St. Joe's. He's six foot seven, uh, multi use offensively, where he can set screens and pick and roll and also come off screens and pick and roll. Sort of like a Kyle Anderson, slow mo type of game. I, I think he'll be a better pro than he is right now at St. Joe's, despite his statistics of 16 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. And my last one is Julian Champagny from Saint John's. He's averaging 21 points per game, seven rebounds. He had 34 points and 16 rebounds last night against DePaul. He's shooting 44% from three. Can be a tough defender. Definitely a rotational type of guy that could exceed his ranking too. And it, it's uh, it's a weird draft. It's it's weird in that yeah, I don't love the middle of the first round to like the second. But that like 25 to 45, there's a lot of interesting names and older guys and college seniors and smaller colleges. And you may follow up and say, well, why aren't those second round guys in the first and the first down? It's you're, you're playing these games with upside and, and what a guy could be who's 19 versus 22. If there's a good thing for Celtics fans to look forward to. I don't think they want like a developmental project right now. They want guys who can step in and and be okay getting minutes. And there are plenty of those guys. It just depends on kind of what your your flavor is that you want to go after.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can buy those picks in the top of the second round pretty cheaply uh, for sure. So I'd like to see us, you know, if there's a guy we really like who's, you know, four-year senior, I say we go get him. Take him. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Let's see what happens. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Matt. That was an awesome pod, man. Uh, we are out of questions for you. Although if you really want that post I put up on Reddit has like 50. So, you know, if you're really bored today, you could just go in there and respond to all of them.
0: <laughs> I'll make up a fake pseudonym. So if it, if it hits, I'll say that was me. If it wasn't, I'll, I'll just disown the whole thing. wasn't me. that was i I love clutch sports 34 that was a different guy
1: that's right uh but that's gonna do it for this one on the celtics reddit podcast thank you again matt
0: for your time and shout out big deli yeah big deli jeff slavsky thanks for having me guys really appreciate it thanks matt